The Los Angeles Lakers have the firepower to knock out the Golden State Warriors with offense, not defense. Is this truly possible? And have the Phoenix Suns solved their Chris Paul problem? We're doing it all with our Locked On Podcast Network NBA insider for the playoffs in the offseason. Howard Beck coming up here on Locked On NBA. Howard Beck joins me now, and Howard, another great weekend behind us. Today's show is brought to you by Prize Picks. Don't forget, with a hundred percent deposit match on all Prize Picks with the promo code Locked On, play Prize Picks today. Uh, the Los Angeles Lakers were in the middle of the second quarter against the Golden State Warriors, down by like thirteen or something, and I turn with my NBA knowledge to those I'm with and say they just don't have the firepower. They just don't have enough offense to beat the Golden State Warriors. They played an undermanned Memphis team. They just, and then that happened. So do the Los Angeles Lakers have the firepower and offensive prowess along with what's the best defense in the NBA since the trade deadline for this series? Well, listen, if you just asked in the abstract about Laker firepower, and you th- you looked at the obvious places. Well, Anthony Davis is up and down. Sometimes they, he has it and sometimes he doesn't. And it's really frustrating and strange. And it's one of the great mysteries of the modern NBA. And then you would look at LeBron and say, well, we know that on a lot of rest, he's got it. But you know what? It's, it is year 20. Like there is a toll. And you can't expect him to go drop 35-40 every night. Um, and so then you think, well, yeah, if they're not defending at their peak, they have issues. But listen, I... The way the NBA is right now, with as much parity as there is, and, you know, yes, the Warriors are a team that historically has had an incredible amount of firepower and and still do on their best nights, but they don't have it reliably either. And I've the way I viewed the Warrior or the um the Laker roster since they reconstituted this team was if LeBron and Anthony Davis are just LeBron and Anthony Davis, whatever that baseline is. The potential that on a given night, and this is what we saw the other night, that a D'Angelo Russell, you might have a D'Angelo Russell game. We know he's capable of that. Um, we've seen that over years. Like he's a he's a frustrating player for other reasons, but D'Angelo Russell can bring it. He can drop 20-25, and he gave them, you know, 21, I think it was the other night. Um, you you might have the odd uh, Rui Hachimura game, which they had in the first round, or the Austin Reeves game. It's not going to be any one of those guys, but I think – on a given night, it may be a collection of them or one of them going for, for 20 to, to, to be the supplementary guy. And like that is that a formula for sustained success as you get deeper in the playoffs? Hard to say. Um, but I do think that somewhere between Hachimura, Schroeder, Reeves, uh, D'Angelo Russell, like th- th- somebody or some combination is going to emerge and give them just enough. And the fact is, you know, if they've got the paint locked down, um, if they're winning the battle of the boards, if they're uh, being the more physical team than, than the Warriors, then they, it, they do have the edge, even without some of the firepower that the Warriors have. You know, it's interesting. I thought this whole series would go down to depth because they're playing every other day and the stars are 38 and 35. And then I heard everyone else talk about the depth as though the Warriors depth is better than the Lakers. When I had said that the very first time I said it thinking the Lakers depth was better than the Warriors. Like, it's interesting. Like, there's a bunch of guys playing in this series that I think are super struggling. Like, Jordan Poole's not been very good in this series. 
Jamichael Green's cute, but like that's not really the guy you should have playing playoff minutes. Frankly, I'm not sure that Jared Vanderbilt is either. Like we're watching his minutes drop. Lonnie Walker is suddenly an like it's interesting to see these two teams with their headliners because their co-stars or their supporting cast has huge question marks. And I am not sure which is better. Yeah. Like the Warriors who won the championship a year ago, they do it because, you know, Jordan Poole kind of found his stride. I mean, he was up and down even last postseason. let's be honest, but Jordan Poole kind of found his stride and his confidence and, and figured out what his best uh, application of his skills was within this system and within this team. But Andrew Wiggins was absolutely phenomenal uh, for all the key stretches, including the finals. And Wiggins has been a little up and down and maybe that should be expected after all the time that he was out. Um, and yeah, look there, you know, Moses Moody, uh, you know, if, if he's going to play 20 minutes and only score five points that, you know, that, that may be an issue. Dante DiVincenzo, uh, 22 minutes, only scored five points the other night. Um, Kaminga, like they've got a lot of kind of unknown quantities or guys who were either, in DiVincenzo's case, first year with them and Jermichael Green, or it's some of their young guys who they still, you know, aren't quite sure. And, you know, look, they're, they're, they're still really young. Um, and, and so you're, when we talk about the Warriors depth, it's really about whether or not Jordan Poole is on. Cause he's the one guy who's done this before. Um, and to an extent it's about Andrew Wiggins. Like, you know, Steph Curry is going to most nights uh, have what you need. Um, and, and Clay's going to catch fire at times. But it's really about like pool of Wiggins on down. And I don't think they have the same level of reliability there as they once had. And so, no, like I, when you're talking about depth and, and it's, if, if we want to talk about it as bench is one thing, if we're going to talk about it as everybody but your your stars, the Lakers probably have it in in, in better measure than the, than the Warriors do right now. I do think there's one thing in this series that's really important. This is a numbers geek thing. Let just work with me for a second. Second spectrum has QSQ, which is quantified shot quality that a team gets. I actually think it's a super important thing to whether adjustments are working in the playoffs. It tells you something. So in the Warriors blowout win, their QSQ, which means if average players had taken their shots on that night, they would have shot 55%. And the Lakers would have shot 49. So that the the Warriors were getting dramatically better shots than the than the Lakers were in game two. In game in Saturday's game. The exact opposite happened. They got dead even. The Lakers did something that brought the Warriors' shot quality down about four percentage points and increased their own four percentage points. That's a huge change. Whatever adjustments Darvin Ham made or approach or energy, whatever it might be, that to me is a huge aspect. And then the Lakers made shots and the Warriors didn't. That happens. But the fact they're now getting the same quality shots tells me the Lakers are much more viable to winning the series than they were earlier. Yeah, though... You know, if we say that series are always about adjustments and and often they are, um, I, I tend to think it's often just about whether guys are on on a given night too, by the way, like, you know, you, you, you can always adjust to the adjustments. It's, it's a matter of, of ultimately just performance. Um, there's no amount of X's and O's that takes a, a great team and suddenly levels them. Um, I, those things do swing from game to game quite a bit. And every game takes on its entirely different personality than the one uh, before it. So I, I tend not to trust uh, in a best of seven series that any one game is indicative of where things stand. I've seen too many times where you get a 20 point blowout by one team and the next game is literally a 20 point blowout by the team that just lost. So um, really interesting um, swing from two to three. The curiosity becomes, does it swing back the other way three to four? Uh, we'll find out soon enough.
All right, Boston, Philadelphia. I don't do this very often, but I rewatch my thing this year is I rewatch the final seven minutes, nine minutes of every close game all year. So this has been my my thing. It's been super fun. I don't know. I, I really left the Dow the Boston Philadelphia game a little bit like lost on what Joe Missoula was doing as the head coach. And if we're really honest about it, Boston, that's been the one question mark all year. Not in a negative way, just a question mark. What does this first year head coach have this who is obviously thought of well, he was interviewed for other head coaching jobs, he was prepared for this, but he hasn't been here before. So what does he have? Here here's what I didn't like. Let me let me get into this what I didn't like and then I'll get your your thoughts on it as we go. First off, they were hunting Brogdon relentlessly, and he left him in the game till about 110 left in the fourth quarter, 130 left in the first quarter, in the in the fourth quarter, before going to Derek White. And Philadelphia was going at him on every possession. At some point, you're not using him offensively anymore, every possession, because you're going to take you should be going to Tatum and Brown. Don't leave him out there. So that's my that was my reg, regulation one. Then they started running three, four, five actions in the overtime to get switches and get matchups. More often than not, they went from a, a to a less good matchup. Tobias Harris would start on Jason Tatum. By the time they were done with all their picks and 14, 15 seconds were off the shot clock, P.J. Tucker was on Jason Tatum or Tyrese Maxey. That's not worth 14, 15 seconds on your shot clock to get that stuff done. And then with 2.11 left in the fourth quarter, excuse me, in the overtime, they run a Marcus Smart, Al Horford pick and roll. That's cute in the second quarter. You should never run anything in overtime that's not a Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown play. You're in overtime in game in game four of the Eastern Conference semifinals. And finally, on the no timeout, I'm fine with no timeout late in the game if you have the right personnel on the floor. They didn't have the right personnel on the floor. Malcolm Brogdon shoots 44% from three. He's got to be on the floor. And if you're not going to call timeout and there's 18 seconds left in the game, don't run your first action with five seconds left on the clock. They did nothing for 13 seconds down one. And then why was Marcus Smart guarding Joel Embiid on the inbound? If you're going to have Al Horford hover, then double Joel Embiid and leave P.J. Tucker wide open. Or have Marcus Smart hover as the guy who's going to come off P.J. Tucker. I got the idea you're coming off P.J. Tucker, but why six foot four, three, two? Marcus Smart and Joel Embiid. All right, my rant is over. Howard Beck gets to digest it, and we'll come back with his take on that. But I really think that that was a badly managed fourth quarter in overtime by Joe Missoula. Those are my cases. You can tell me I'm wrong. I'm all good with that, but that's my case on it. We'll come back with Howard Beck to break that down. Coming back here. Today's show is brought to you by our friends over at Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the daily fantasy sports answer for you. So much fun, so much enjoyment. Use the promo code Locked On to get a hundred percent deposit match at Prize Picks. It's pick two to six players. You're playing against the numbers, not against other people, not against some computer zealot expert, not some numbers geek fool like me. Uh, you'd want to play me anyway, don't worry. But I'm not allowed to, so it's all good. You don't have to worry about it. It is all over at Prize Picks. Use the promo code Locked On. Download the app right now, and then use the promo code Locked On to get. Your uh, 100% deposit match, or if you put in 72.50, you get 72.50. You put in 50, you get 50. Put in 150, you only get 100. Doesn't it's up to $100? You can figure this out. It all works. So do it now. Download the Prize Picks app. Any games imaginable. Obviously, the NBA games would be super fun, but you can play any sport. And don't forget to enter the promo code locked on at sign up 
for an instant deposit match up to $100. Thanks so much for taking the time with Howard and I here on Locked. Howard and me? Howard and me, I think. I think yes. it's Howard and me. Thanks so much for taking the time with Howard and me here on Locked on NBA and making us your first listen of the day. For your second listen, go grab Locked on Lakers, Locked on Celtics. Any of the playoffs analysis is just great. Jackson Gatlin did the regular Locked on NBA, not the playoff edition special with our expert Howard Beck um, here on the program. All right. I gave my little tirade about the Celtics late game and what I didn't like. Howard, what's your thoughts? I just want to be clear. If you had not flagged your own grammatical misstep there, I would not have brought it up. Uh, as, as a writer and grammarian, I, 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 I note it. I, I hear it in my head. I try not to be that obnoxious jackass who's correcting people's grammar, the so-and-so and me, so-and-so and I situations. That was the object of a preposition, in which case you have to say... <laughs> And me, not and 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 I. I'm, I'm going to call you Norma Pfeiffer because that was my ninth grade English teacher who um, led me ta- taught me how to you know uh, what was it diagrams and, and graph sentences. So, <laughs> Diagramming but, sentences is a terrible, terrible thank, thing. Thank you, Norma, thank you, Norma Pfeiffer. She was about a 65 year old blue bonnet hair. Like That's... yeah. So thanks, thanks, Norma Howard. <laughs> you know, some people call you what up back. I'm going to say, hey, Norma. Listen, I'm just saying, you brought it up. You flagged it yourself. Did you say you did I get that wrong? Well, yeah, you got it wrong. All right. So I got on Joe Missoula for getting stuff wrong. You got on me for getting stuff wrong. We're good. Um, it was interesting when when they, you know, elevated Missoula, obviously out of necessity. And obviously, you know, everybody spoke very highly of him, but he is very young. He hadn't been on an NBA bench very long, um, been the NBA very long, period. And none of them necessarily matters you don't know it matters until it matters like um and and then you get into the playoffs and into to tight situations and you start to see at the micro level you know when experience maybe does come into play more right like some of the like there are decisions that coaches make that we will sit here from our couches, the comfort of our couches often and, ah he should have had this guy in instead of that guy oh uh, why didn't he call this timeout? And it's easy for us to say from the couch without the thousand other things that are on the coach's mind in that given situation. So I often feel like a lot of the second guessing that media and fans do is a little unfair and um, probably is not taking into account all the other things that the coach knows that we don't in terms of what is players, you know, the the level of focus that he's seen from them at shoot around that day or the practice the day before, or someone's got some nagging little injury that we're not even aware of. And he made a decision based on that. Like there's all these other things. He's got assistance in his ear. He's got like, so we sit here and make it sound so definitive from the outside. Sometimes we don't work. Oh, he had to have done this. He should have done this. And and we we say in these absolutist terms where a lot of this, I think has got so much more nuance to it. In, in this case, though, look, everything that you flagged, I think, were fairly, like, they're hard to dispute, right? Those were hard to dispute things. Um, and especially just the last play. I mean, uh, you know, not getting a shot off in time is inexcusable. Um, we've seen various versions of this in, in, in the postseason this year. And, like, you you have to, you like, whatever it takes there, whether that was needing to call a timeout, whether it was screaming at the top of your lungs to tell your guys you know, swinging your arms wildly as we see coaches sometimes do like get up the damn court. Like, but some of that's on the players too. like watch the damn clock. Right. Like at the end of the day, you know, you held the ball too long. Um, Let me jump in. There's a really interesting one I left out here that I do think is like players, not coach Tatum has the ball 
guarded by Tobias Harris. That's the matchup they seemingly want. And I don't remember who it was, but somebody comes up and sets a pick, which slows Tatum up, which brings Maxi into the play, which creates a double team on Tatum as he drives. Mm. Like that's one where I'm going on the players. Like the minute you, if you've been communicated to correctly, the minute you see Harris is on Tatum, space it and let him go. That's the ball game. Yeah. That's the matchup you want for the game. Well, by the way, speaking of, of individual decisions but made by players in the heat of the moment or, or in, in, a, in a split second that have nothing to do with coaching necessarily, um, by the time Embiid kicks out to Harden for the game-winning three, Jalen Brown has come over to him, and he's now got like four guys on him. <laughs> like, Jalen Brown, don't you think that he was well enough guarded with three of your teammates on him? You did not need to be the fourth man in. And P.J. Tucker's already open in the other corner, um and 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 for all i know like it was interesting Embiid at one point had a better line of sight to tucker to the left side than to harden on the right but by the time he spins into the lane and, and is, is now about to crash into like two different players and he sees harden he hits harden he could have easily hit and we know how, P, how great a, a corner shooter pj tucker is um so maybe maybe tucker hits the game winning three from the other side anyway because he was open um but why is, why is Jalen Brown leaving James Harden at and, all? And by the way, on the last play of regulation, Jalen Brown leaves his spacing outside three, which means Jason Tatum doesn't have a passing lane back out to him on that play. So he actually, that's two times where he meanders. Uh, tip of the hat to Doc Rivers. The math is dramatically in favor of down too late taking a three to win rather than the old school tie and play for a stop in overtime. And I've got to figure that was a set play because James Harden had not been in that corner all game. There was, you can literally go. I don't, I think mm. if you ran second spectrum player movement on James Harden, he has not been in that corner at any other moment all game. So tip of the hat to Doc Rivers to play for the three on that final play, or at least set it up to play for the three. Cause that's actually the answer of ha- mathematically of what you should do. And when Joel and beads played 46 minutes, it's really the answer of what you should do in that circumstance. So let me ask you bigger picture, Boston, Philly. Like, what do you think we see? Is this still Boston's clearly been the better team. They're plus 41 in four games, but what do you think we see here? Boston is one of the most confounding favorites we've seen in, in some time. I think, um, I know we have short memories and all this stuff, but how many games have they, how many winnable games in the playoffs have they blown now in these two series? How many, uh, massive leads have they blown? Um, they're just so untrustworthy for a team with two legit all NBA players and Tatum, who was in the MVP discussion for parts of the season, you've got Tatum and Brown, you've got all this phenomenal supporting cash and it's a veteran team Like you can't blame it on youth. You can't blame it on lack of depth. You can't blame it. Like they have all the tools. And the second the bucks were out, the Celtics became the odds on favorites. I, I, I say odds on, I don't know. I don't actually check the odds in Vegas. I don't care, but um, by any basketball measure, uh, Vegas people aside, the Celtics were the best team to left standing after the first round Um, that they are uh, mired in this, in this, you know, in this tie series with a Philly team that I, I thought the Sixers did not exactly have between Joel Embiid's knee, which by the way, still an issue. um, Harden's uh, lackluster postseason track record up until now, (laughs) Um, the inexperience of some of these guys, like the Sixers were kind of wobbly 
you know, and, and they kind of had an easy first round against, you know, a, a depleted Nets team that wasn't even the same team uh, that, that got themselves that, that seating. And here they are. The Celtics have just put the Sixers back in the series. And it's an old cliche that I used to hear from players all the time going back to when I first started covering this league. You can't give a team confidence. If you know you're the better team, and I think the Celtics know they are, you can't give the other team confidence. And yeah, I understand Embiid's the MVP and all that. Embiid is clearly limited. He's got a, a sprained knee that should be, that in ordinary circumstances, he wouldn't even be playing right now if this were the regular season. And the, like everything should be tipped in the Celtics' favor, and they have squandered everything. And so, it, yes, now it's best two out of three, and they get the two home games. I don't know, David, do you have confidence that the Celtics can actually take this? Well, the FanDuel odds are, like, not even close. FanDuel has the Celtics at plus 165. The Nuggets at plus 460. That's not close. Like, the Celtics are dramatically the favorites right now. Lakers are at plus 500. Suns are at plus 650. Phillies at plus 800. To win the Eastern Conference, Boston is minus 175, and Philadelphia's plus 370 is the next most likely. So, do I I don't know if I have confidence, but the betting public at FanDuel still is way dramatically pro Celtics saying, all right, fine. You got two home games. You're fine. I still think they're the best team. They have so few weaknesses. Um, you know, I thought they mismanaged the end of that game. And that's worrisome to me because that is the one question mark on a perfectly built roster is whether or not Joe Missoula as a rookie coach can get them where M.A. Udoka did last year as a rookie coach. It's not- funny. No, I was just say it's funny because the answer to this would be, you know what? They just need to have massive leads so that they don't get in those situations where the little things might matter, but they don't do big leads well either. Right, right, right. <laughs> exactly. All right, the Phoenix Suns have solved their number one problem. It was a Chris Paul problem. I'll explain when we continue with Howard Beck here on Locked On NBA. Locked on NBA with Locked on NBA insider, offseason expert Howard Beck. You can catch him on a bunch of local shows this week. Great job with Milwaukee Bucks last week with Kane Pittman on that show. It was a good one. I tuned in and enjoyed it. Howard's available all throughout the week. I think he's got a little Pistons stop by to talk about their offseason, a little some other fun, Orlando. So you're kind of running through some of the draft teams uh, this week as he makes his visits uh, along the way here on, on the Locked on Podcast Network. So Phoenix looks great. And the opposite of what I just talked about late game, they ran two plays the entire final five minutes. I love them both. They ran a clear side pick and roll with Durant and Booker and let the two of them go to work. It might be an ISO. It might be the top, might, whatever they want. Those two are unbelievable. And then they ran a double stagger off the top where Devin Booker comes off DeAndre Ayton and Kevin Durant. It's pretty powerful. Ayton rolls. If you switch a small guy, he actually took advantage. You got Durant at the top. It's fabulous. It couldn't have happened if Chris Paul's on the floor. When Chris Paul was on the floor, he had to have the ball in his hands. The only play he can run really is a pick and roll with DeAndre Ayton or they switch everything. And every time they ran it, if I was Denver, I was like, yes, not Devin Booker and not Kevin Durant. I, they look, and I'm not trying to criticize Chris Paul. They just had too much talent and they couldn't figure out how to gel. I thought they looked amazing in who they were and their collectiveness for the first time, all playoffs. It, <laughs> It's, it's a fascinating um, kind of wrinkle in all of this, right? Um, you'd never want to actually like subtract talent from your team in the playoffs, especially when that talent is a Hall of Famer and especially when the drop-off from him to the next guy is massive and especially when you already have a serious, serious, serious depth problem anyway. Um, everything you just said is true, not, and, and in some ways it should not be. 
Um, by the way, I feel like uh, Chris Paul is not even really out of the series because we see him as much now as ever because he's in every, every single commercial break. Uh, yeah. There's just way too much Chris Paul. Can we scale back on the Chris Paul? Um, like, it simplifying things for the Suns, to your point, it's evident. It has paid off in a major way because Devin Booker, the gravity of Devin Booker, the gravity of Kevin Durant, and then the combination of the two of them, and, and as as deadly as it is, if they're now 95% of what you're doing, whether the ball's in their hands, whether they're shooting or passing, whether they're simply drawing the defense to them, um, you have you have leveraged them to the maximum degree. And that's what the Suns have done out of necessity. And sometimes simplifying things is actually your, your best bet. And this is, again, it's not the choice you would make if Chris Paul were available. But you're right, David. Like that is that is Chris Paul's um, personality as a player. He is very controlling for better or worse. And for the most part, for the duration of his career, it's what has made so many teams around him often with, you know, lackluster talent or very little talent or young talent. He gets the Oklahoma City Thunder to overachieve. He made this Suns team what they are, frankly. And until he gets there, Monty Williams too, but a lot of credit to Chris Paul. Like they're not this team. They were a lottery team a couple of years ago. Well, it's been more than a couple, but you know, their 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 rapid rise is so much about Chris Paul. Um, so it feels cruel to now say the Suns are back in the series because he's out. Uh, and it does raise an interesting question about what happens if he's ready for a game five or six, or if we get there seven. Um but my gosh, Devin Booker and Kevin Durant have been incredible. And like Booker, you hate, you hate going to like playing the Kobe card. We always said that Devin Booker had a lot of, you know, look, he's, he, he admired Kobe and, and idolized Kobe. Um, I think maybe spent even a little time with him early in his career. He definitely patterns a lot of his game and his footwork and his mid-range game off of, of Kobe, the turnaround jump shot. There are elements there and, and you, you know, you hate making the, the comparisons to all-time greats, but um the way he has has attacked and managed his game, um, the efficiency, uh, the just the deadliness of his of his arsenal right now, um, it's incredible. Devin Booker's been amazing, and Kevin Durant. You know, I mean, we're not surprised at anything he does, um, but you know, a year ago, I'll say a year ago at this time, it was it would have been a year and a couple of weeks. They were getting the Nets were getting swept with Durant and Kyrie Irving, and it's it's fascinating to see where Durant and Booker as a tandem are so much more effective in, in this second round series against a really great nuggets team than the uh, than Kyrie Irving was with Durant when they were getting swept by the Celtics in the first round a year ago with the nets. It's just really like, I, I don't know what to take from that yet. It just struck me at a certain point, like who your, who your co-star is matters. Part of the MVP battle to me was this reluctancy. And I think on my part as well, I don't, I'm not, pointing any fingers in anyone other than myself on deciding that we're going to give Jokic this label as, as a truly all-time great with three MVPs in a row. Like it, it was part of the discussion. He's like removing all doubt of where he actually really deserves to be in all-time greats. Like really one of the all-time, all-time, all-time Larry Bird, Magic Johnson-esque greats to ever play this game. I think so. And I think the hesitance that you had or that anybody had, um, and I tried not to factor that in. Like, I didn't want to think about 
history. I didn't want to think about three in a row. I just wanted to think about this season. I tried to keep it focused on that as much as, as possible for my, for my purposes, but I don't begrudge anybody who looks at it and says there's a bigger picture. Like, yes, it's a season award, but there's an implication of it that, that matters for the history books. And if people want to factor that in, I'm not going to, I'm not going to argue that point too vehemently, but like um, what holds people back is the same thing that would still cause somebody to, to pause right now. Yes. Jokic is playing like an all-time great right now, but um, he still has to get to the finals and win a championship, right? Or at least get to the finals or get to the finals multiple times. Like there's any different number of ways you can break down how we define a guy's career, ultimately the legacy, all that stuff. And we want to see the all-time greats be all-time greats when it matters most. We don't want to see them lose in the second round. And so what you just said is true. And yet at the same time, if for some reason the Suns win the next two games and the Nuggets squander a 2-0 lead and lose in six, we're going to be right back to, yeah, well, you know, Jokic puts up really great numbers and he's got historical efficiency and all this other stuff. But see, this this is why he can't be a three-time three time in a row MVP. This is why he's not Larry Bird. This is, you know what I mean? Like that'll, that will, you and I both know, that will be it. That's if the fair. Nuggets lose this series, even if it's in seven, um, or if they get to the conference finals and they get knocked out by LeBron or by Steph or whatever, it's going to be right back to this is why we, whoever the we is, the, the skeptics are justified in doubting Jokic and justified in saying that he he can't be in the same sentence with Larry Bird. It's a great point. He's got a massive week in front of him for his legacy. Yeah, he probably has the biggest week in front of him of any player for their legacy. Maybe Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid's legacy with MVP if he pulls this off. Would be dramatically different. Final two questions for Howard Beck, Lockdown Podcast Network, NBA insider for the offseason and the playoffs. Uh, Nick's super disappointing, or Eric Spolster's a total maestro and deserves <laughs> all of our credit. You have you're in New York, you can only choose one headline for the for the backs page. Are you going with something creative about the Knicks disappointment or that Eric Spolster is a total maestro? Oh no, no, in New York, it's always about what the Knicks did. Yeah, so they're either the greatest franchise and the greatest team in history or they're the worst and they've choked and what there's no in between. And it's never about the opponent. It's, it's always, right, so it's Nick's disappointment. Absolutely. Um, look, I mean, game two, I was at game two. I was at games one and two here in New York. Um, game two was to me alarming. That's the game they won. And it was really alarming because Jimmy Butler was not there and it still went down to the last couple minutes of the game and yes, Julius Randle had missed game one and was just getting back. And yes, Jalen Brunson and, and, and Randall both were considered questionable up until for whatever all that's worth. Everybody's playing games with all this injury reporting. It's all BS. Um, but yes, they both were banged up. Fair. But the Knicks were basically at full strength for game two. And it still went down to the final minutes. And I thought that bodes badly for them as they go down to Miami for two games. And with Jimmy Butler certainly coming back. Um, the Knicks have had a really great season. They overachieved by record compared to where everybody thought they would be uh, in October. They've overachieved in playoff achievement by beating a Cavaliers team that on paper had more high-end talent. So the season's success, success for the Knicks regardless. Like, you know, <laughs> tabloids or no tabloids, back pages, no back pages. I'm going to say, as somebody who lives here, uh, the Knicks have had a, a, an incredibly uh, uh, successful season by any measure. Um, they right now, considering that he don't have Tyler Hero, don't have Oladipo, that 
you know, Butler is, is, is now, you know, dealing with this ankle sprain that, that looked like he aggravated at least a couple times in game three. Um, arguably the Knicks, despite the fact that they overachieved to be here, should probably win this series. They, they you know, they were the higher seed. They've got home court advantage. Um, they've got more available bodies of, of, of consequence. The Heat are running out there like, I don't know, like Jimmy plus 17 undrafted guys. All right, um, or Jimmy and Bam and 17 undrafted guys. We'll all execute perfectly on every play, which is, yes. I was talking to a coach in the NBA. And they're like, I just can't, I, I don't know if it's because like, is it just Spolster? Is it because they got guys who go home if they don't do it? They execute perfectly on every play, every pick set the right spot. Everything's perfect. He says they just admires it. Well, the the- by the way, if, if, uh, if a team's quote unquote culture is a lot about their coach and we talk about heat culture or people joke about heat culture, they mock heat culture. They say it's overdone, overused, blah, blah, blah. The fact that the heat are here at all. And, and especially when they're playing, look at again, back to game two. I know it was a Knicks win, but look at like the heat should have been blown out. Any other team that has none of their, that has, you know, I won't say none of their stars. Bam Adebayo is a star of sorts, but he's not your offensive engine. If you have lost your best offensive player and your second best offensive player, Tyler Hero, and you are in a game like that, just scrapping it out, just playing tough, making big shots, making your opponent work that hard, just being tough-minded, that is what heat culture is. That's what any team's culture is, and that is Spolstra. And so to the extent that we should be uh, for sure – praising his role in this series and what the heat have established the consistency that's the thing culture is about like what happens when you don't have your best players and you still have to try to win a game without the talent um the heat do that and so yes i think spolster has been been phenomenal you know not just with obviously x's and o's and all that stuff but like there's an expectation built in and a, a certain standard built into this team that you see them live up to even when Jimmy Butler's not out there. So I do, I do think the Heat are in, uh, or the, the Knicks are in trouble now. Um, and it, it would be absolutely incredible if the Heat go from virtual eighth seed. I say virtual because they have the seventh best, re- best record in the East. It's just the play and made them the eighth seed. But if they go from seventh best team in the East to conference finals, um, <laughs> that is a hell of an achievement. Final question for Howard Beck very quickly. In order of most likely... Teams we will be talking about next Monday as still playing. The teams you feel most comfortable are still playing. I, I guess it's predictions. I hate predictions. I'm trying to find a fun way to do it. But you are most confident that this team is going to win their series. You're then most confident you'll see this team. And then, frankly, you could have two teams in the same series in there. I don't know. Like, you might just have no clue on one series. Oh, man. This is tough. Um, From most confident to least confident. Like, are we most confident the Heat are beating the Knicks at this point? If, man, these are tough. I'm, 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 I'm staring at the four series, and I'm, like, waiting for one to pop out. I mean, I guess this is a good thing, Locke. Like, this is this is what the NBA should want. We, we've got we've got suspense. Um, All right, so because I have to choose, because you've been mean to me and are making me do this, Um, uh, yes, I'll, I'll say if most confidence Heat uh, are still playing, next most – Man, I, I next most might be Boston. Yeah, I agree. despite everything, I might have gone Boston one. By the way, despite my little rant to start the show today. Yeah, um, look, they still got the the talent advantage, and you know, I, I worry every game that Embiid's knee. You know, what can he do on it, and, and how long does he last? Um, so Heat then Celtics. Oh, man, it gets really tough here. 
it gets it gets really tough here. Um, I think it's Nuggets. I think I think the Nuggets still um, have. I would have gone Phoenix or Golden State here. So you're not even going. You're not even getting. You're not even saying Denver's coming out of this series. No, I think after I think, after I your, think, I think Phoenix has solved it. After your big presentation of why uh, Jokic is an all-time yeah, great, no. deserves to be up there with Larry Bird, you're you're throwing him out of the second I round. I think Phoenix has solved it. <laughs> I think that no Chris Paul really. I think their problem really, honestly, and I'm not. This yeah. I'm, I just think he needed the ball in his hands, and you don't want him with the ball in his hands anymore. With that roster, yeah. with other rosters, sure, but not with those guys. Yeah. Um, Two of the last three are going to be in Denver for whatever that's worth. Um, all right, I'm I'm leaning I'm leaning Phoenix there. I'm still kind of leaning Warriors. I like I have I, I've I've admitted this openly many times. Like I have this this kind of stubborn belief in the Warriors. Um, I had it throughout last season um, when they were just rebuilding themselves. I had it this season when it you know all of their road woes and everything else uh, made it feel like it's just over. Um, I, it's, there's, there's, you know, Steph has this aura about him and yes, LeBron is LeBron. And like, you know, I have two rules that I've developed over the last, you know, 10 years or so, which is don't bet against LeBron, don't bet against Steph. And now they're coming into conflict with each other in a very profound way, but it is an older LeBron and it's an Anthony Davis. Who's very up and down. I just trust, I trust the warriors. Um, their, 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 their aura, their core, their, their, whatever, that whatever the essence is of the warriors as long as they're at full strength and no one's, you know, no serious, uh, no seriously important players banged up. I just believe in them. Um, so there you go. Awesome. Howard, always appreciate it. I don't know if you or Nick or I are doing Monday next week, but I look forward to it. Have a good week talking with the guys across the network and the ladies across the network. Appreciate your time. Howard Beck, Locked On Podcast Network, NBA insider for the playoffs and the offseason, doing great work. Follow him on Twitter at Howard Beck. Locked on NBA, back with you tomorrow with the regular crew. And Jackson's got his Monday edition for your next listen as well. Have a great one. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.